series on uh, heading home. Uh, it's loosely based off of, of uh, Luke 15 and following and tracking the prodigal son. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the things that sort of draw us away from God. Uh, one is, is that we pursue power. That's what we shared last week, that we, we seek control. And that oftentimes we walk away from God and walk away from home. And it, it's based off this quote that just says that, uh, that God is at home. It's, it's we who have gone for the long walk. And the long walk that we've gone on is often pursuing pleasure and pursuing power. And this morning I, I want to kind of talk about another P that sort of draws our hearts away from God. And that is perfection. Uh, I was thinking about this quote. It's really uh, helped me kind of narrow what I narrow down what I mean by perfection. And what I mean by perfection is the legalism that sort of can capture our hearts. Uh, there's a quote by a guy that I don't know that I'm pronouncing his name correctly. It's Jacques Ilel, and I'm confident I said that um, in a way that makes you think I know what I'm doing. Uh, uh, but he says that legalism is an armor that we don that keeps God from capturing our hearts. It's an ar armor that we wear, this legalism, that keeps God from getting a hold of our hearts. And so this morning I want to tell three stories that Jesus tells, or yes, three stories that Jesus tells that I think can help bring us back home to God in a relationship with him. It's easy to look at uh, pleasure and see how that has sort of caused us to wander away from God. The sort of seeking of all of the fulfillment that we can try and find in the world. We know that we know the joys of pleasure and all of the happiness that we think that it'll bring. It's easy to see that. It's also to see in our relationship with God how our struggle and our grasp for power has sort of gotten our hearts away from God. But how is the perfection piece? How is trying to seek God and his will perfectly sort of keeping us from a relationship with God? I think that Jesus tells three stories that help us see the error in the heart of what's going on. The sort of armor that we put on that kind of keeps us from having a relationship with God that keeps our hearts from him. And so this is a warning for all of us who have been a part of the church for a long time. This is a word of caution that Jesus gives to people who would maybe find their relationship in the rules and not so much in the relationship with God and what he calls us to. So here's, uh, here's the stories. Uh, we're familiar with many of them. The first story that I want to tell you is the story of the parable of the prodigal son, only it's the parable of the older brother. We know the first half that the son who wanders away and squanders and and then comes back to his father and the father greets him with open arms. But it's the parable of the older brother that I think starts uh, takes central focus at the end of Luke 15. And the, the uh, older brother, he comes home from a long day of work and he hears that there's a party going on. He says, what is that racket? And somebody says, well, there's a party. Well, this guy, he must have been a real delight to hang out with, right? There's a party going on, and I want to know how to stop it, right? 
He's what you call, and this is biblical, he is the biblical party pooper. If you're looking for a party pooper, it's the older brother. I don't know why I said that. I'm going to keep <laughs> moving on, okay? That's ridiculous. But let's keep moving forward and pretend I didn't say it. So the older brother, the party pooper, he is saying, why is this party going on? And, and we get the explanation. The ex explanation is very simple. The son that I loved who wandered away, he's come back, and there was the very best thing that we could do was throw a party. And, and he doesn't go into the house. He doesn't go home. He stands on the outside and he says, well, I'm not going in there. I'm not going in there. Here I have been slaving for you. He uses the word slavery. He says, I have done everything you've asked of me. And you have never done this for me. And the dad says, son, I would have given you all of this. You never asked. You never wanted the party. You never wanted the celebration. You never asked for it, and I would have given it to you. But he never goes into the house, and he describes his relationship with his father as, I have been slaving away. I've been obedient in every way, and you've never done this for me. I've been obedient. It's this sort of wrestling match, and it sets the stage, because if we remember in Luke 15 that Jesus is telling these three stories of lost and found and the celebration of the heart of God, of praising and celebration of the repentance of people whose hearts come back to God. This is what God finds great pleasure in, is his people coming back to him. And here's one who's wandered away from pleasure, who's come back. Here's, here's this person who has sought the world and comes back to his father. And he says, I am so happy and delighted that my son has come home. But I have this other son who's been pursuing this sort of perfection, this slavery to obedience, to the rules, and to all of these things. And he's finding his righteousness in the things that he's done. And so he has this sort of heart work that needs to happen. There's another uh, story in the Bible. It's found in Matthew chapter 20. And it's one where uh, we really... Um, get to see a sense of God's heart and how he is benevolent and generous with his kindness. In Matthew 20, in starting in verse 1, we hear of the story of the landowner. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus describes, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And in the hiring of workers, he agreed to pay them the a denarius, which was the appropriate wage for the day. So he gathers together workers and he, and he hires them. And, and then at 9 o'clock, at 9 in the morning, he says, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get some more workers. So he goes and, and he hires them and he says, I'll, I'll pay you a fair wage. He doesn't say what he's going to pay him. He just says, I'll pay you what's fair. And so then at noon, the, the, uh, he goes out and he hires more workers at noon. And he says, I'll pay you what's fair. And then he does the same thing at 3 o'clock. And he says, I'll pay you what's fair. And then at 5 o'clock, there's still people looking for work. And he asks them the question, like, why are you guys just sitting around? And they're like, well, nobody asked us to do anything yet. And there's something about those workers that there might have been something uh, wrong with them. Maybe they just woke up late and they, got, and they uh, you know, early bird didn't get the worm that morning, right? They didn't get up and they didn't go there. Or maybe there was something wrong with them. Maybe they had handicaps. We don't know their story. But what we do know is it's 5 o'clock. They should have been working by that day. 
but by that time, but they still get recruited and they say, we'll pay you what's fair. So they work only for a little while and we know how the story goes, right? How much do they get paid? So the, uh, it's like, okay, let's line them up. Let's pay them their wages. Let's pay them what, what's fair and what's right. And so here's a denarius for you, for the five o'clock workers. Now, if the five o'clock guys are getting a denarius, you're thinking as the, as the seven o'clock guy that's been slaving away all day, you're thinking, oh man, I'm gonna strike it big, right? But we know how this story goes. You've heard it before. The, the guys that went to work at five, well, they get a denarius. The guys that went to work at three, how much do they get? Denarius. Way to participate, guys. This is getting better over all these years. That's a good, right? And the folks at noon, what do they get? A denarius. The folks at nine, they get a denarius. And those that woke up early, worked all day, and did all of that hard work, how much did they get? How do you feel? One, that you've worked all day and you've gotten the same as the person who worked late in the day. Jesus tells these stories for a reason and he gives his plug at the end. He says, why, why are you envious of my generosity? Why do you have this feeling about what you deserve? when what I have shown you is that my benevolence and my kindness and my generosity is overflowing. Why is that problematic for you? Jesus starts tearing away the walls uh, that we've put around our heart and he starts exposing these things that culturally we've, we've been shaped by this. Um, who here has rewarded their children for having all A's on their report card? You say you want something nice. Well, you get all A's, right? You gotta do. You gotta earn the grade if you're gonna get something good. Apparently, only Deb and I have done that. She's the only one that responded to that. Um, but we reward our children. We teach them to do right and do well and succeed, and we will bless you and take care of you. We have grown up with that mindset, and there's really nothing wrong with that. I mean. You don't want to reward C's and D's. You want them to aspire to greatness, right? And so this is what we do. But we do this in work, too. Who's been rewarded in their work because they succeeded and did well? Right? You get blessed because, by golly, you met the deadline. Way to go. And I don't know what happens in the real world of work. This is my work, so I don't know what you all get rewarded for, but... Uh, but you get rewards, you get these blessings, you get encouragements, you get these accolades, you get employee of the month, you get the special parking spot, like, by golly, I got it this month, right? We get rewarded because we have found success. And what we have been taught, what we have understood is, is that if we are going to find fulfillment, if we are going to find success, if we are going to find happiness, we will find them at the end of a road in which we have done all of the right things we could possibly do. To find success, to find fulfillment, to find happiness, it's at the end of the road of perfection, of finding and following and doing all the things that we can possibly do. And the room for error, does it feel like there's any margin of error in your life? Do you feel like if you woke up tomorrow morning and you realized, you know what, I went down the... I didn't do everything that I was supposed to do yesterday. Will the boss say, well, that's all right. Everything's all right. Or will there be consequences if you, 
if you failed to meet a deadline, if this was the third time that you missed the deadline, if this was a repeating error in your life that you keep making mistakes on, do you feel like that there is something at the end of the road with, or that there's something at the end of the day with your boss that says, hey, you know, that's all right. We'll be okay. So we've been brought up in a world, right or wrong, but it's the world that we've been brought up in, to feel like that to have success, to find happiness, to find fulfillment, to find the things that we are looking for, that we desire, is at the end of the road of perfection. Do you feel the need to be perfect? I spent the better part of my life in ministry feeling like I had to be perfect. And I got really close. I mean, <laughs> right? Right? You all know that that's not true. But it's a, an expectation, an expectation that we shoulder on each of ourselves to say, for God to love me, for the church to accept me, for me to feel as though I belong, I have to meet these expectations. Have you ever felt the need to be perfect? Jesus tells stories to expose our hearts and to start tearing down walls to help us see the heart of God. And he tells a story of a day that two people went to church and one person who lived their very life trying to be as perfect as they possibly could be showed up to church one day, walked in, went right up front, right next to the most holy seat next to the pastor falls on his knees and he says I thank God that I'm not like the rest of everyone else here I give what I'm called to give I bless those who I'm called to bless I'm just so thankful that I am so good and there was another guy he didn't even get into the sanctuary he was just down in the vestibule at the lower levels where all the heathens hang out barely got in the door and he poked his head in and he said well the walls haven't caved in on me just yet but have mercy on me a sinner two people went to church that day one of them realizing they were sinners another one not and the one who realized they were a sinner the one who realized that there's this pursuit of perfection is not something that can be attained this side of new creation. Well, Jesus says, the one who went home justified, the one who went home blessed, the one who went home favored and cared for and loved, the one who realized that they were broken in desperate need of God. Jesus tells stories to start tearing away the armor that we've put around our hearts and the armor that we've put around our hearts have kept us from hearing who God is and what he's about and what truly matters to him. I have donned the armor of legalism. I've donned the armor that has kept God at, um, at a distance in my life. Because I have often felt that God won't accept me until I can be the person at the front pew that says I have it all figured out. 
the person who goes to church religiously, the person who goes to every event religiously, the one who serves and cares for every possible aspect, the one who has it all together, the one who has it all figured out, the one who knows exactly what God's will is, and they have those experiences with God that you're just kind of like, man, how do I get one of those? That I'll never quite be that perfect. And Jesus pulls back the curtain on all of that. He says, that's, that's not it. Your heart, your love for God, your recognition of your desperate need for Him. It's been a long time uh, for me to learn valuable lessons about God's grace. And that's what we're talking about today. Where we talk about what we want as pleasure and what we need truly as Christ as our living water. That makes sense. I understand that. I pursue Christ. And so repentance in that scenario where if I am seeking pleasure and I've wandered away from home, wandered away from God in the pursuit of the world, the, well, repentance seems really easy. I need to turn from the world and turn my heart towards Christ. And that makes sense to me. That checks out, right? That's easy to sort of wrap our heads around, that if I keep pursuing all of the world and I stop seeking Christ in his heart, that this is just going to lead me down a path of despair and brokenness, broken marriage, broken hearts, broken lives. It's easy for me to see how the pursuit of power and control leads to a direct lack of trust in God. And so if I want to turn from a life of seeking control, seeking to trust in my own power and my own strength, that to repent of that. And discipleship looks like daily recognizing that Jesus is the Lord and King and Savior and Redeemer. That repenting from that is to turn to God and trust in Him daily. To seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And that He would care for and meet all of my needs. That that makes sense to me. But my life has been brought up in a world in which the way I relate with God and the way I pursue God is to follow all of these things. What does repentance look like? When it seems like it's all well intended for me to follow all of the rules and meet all of the expectations. And here's what I, re I think repentance looks like for those who have struggled with perfection, those who have struggled with legalism, those who have struggled with feeling like they have all of the expectations in the world on their shoulders, is that you? Here's repentance. Repentance is gratitude for God's grace. It is gratitude. It is saying to God, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your constant faithfulness and love. Thank you that even though I have pursued perfection, I know that I have not attained it. Thank you, God, for loving me even as a sinner. There is this powerful moment in Ephesians, in Ephesians 2. Powerful moment in Ephesians 2 where we learn one of the most important parts of God's gospel. In 2.8 it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved. 
through faith. You are saved by his benevolent kindness, his mercy, his son, Jesus Christ, entering into the world. He has redeemed you and saved you. And it's this line here that has struck me right in my heart. And this is not from yourselves. I have been on the treadmill of faith, thinking that if I keep doing the right things, if I keep meeting expectations, if I keep going down this path, maybe you would accept me. Maybe God would accept me. Maybe I would find fulfillment and satisfaction. I have run that race. I want to invite you to hear of God's grace anew again. That this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking just the way that I always think when I hear this message, that I'm redeemed by God's grace. Well, what is it that I need to do about it? What is it that I need to do now that I know that God has rescued and saved me? I still feel the need to earn what God has given to me freely. And all I can say to you is, is it's this daily dose and reminder of thankfulness. We spend the rest of our lives in gratitude of grace. Gratitude of God's kindness and benevolent mercy. And he says, and Paul says, hey, you've been created for good works. But it all starts with this gift. It all starts with this gift that's been given to you through the mighty power of God to redeem and save. God is reaching out to you today to say, you know, the path of perfection, as well intended as it was, all you have done is don an armor of legalism that's caused you forget to forget this truth. At the end of your life, you will work and you will love God and you will serve him and he will give you the gift of eternal life. Whether you came in last minute or you came in early in the morning. And you can look at it and say, man, that is some bad news that those folks that are working really hard all day got the same thing as people at the end of the day. And it seems like really bad news until you realize that you're the guy that showed up at 5 o'clock. You're the one at the end of the day. And you think, man, that's really quite something. The generosity of God. To bring sinner like me into his family. You belong to the family of God through the gift of his grace. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of his grace. Trust and know. Fill your lives with gratitude of his benevolent kindness knowing that Christ is Lord and he loves you deeply. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us, your children. Thank you for reaching out to us through your son. God, we...
have often wandered away from home thinking that we would find our way to you. Let us see something the older brother didn't see. That you love your family, that you love your children, that you welcomed us and you loved us and you have always been wanting to give us the blessings that we thought we had to earn. God, you've given us the blessing of life and hope and freedom in Jesus Christ. Renew our hearts today, Lord. Help us to know of your grace, to know of your love. We love you and we pray.